May only truth be spoken and only truth received. Amen. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he had been made known to them in the breaking of the bread. As Luke describes the scene, these two followers of Jesus had left Jerusalem, were headed for the town of Emmaus. Their teacher, Jesus, had been executed on the Friday. They had waited in the city through the Sabbath day, and now they were on the road, perhaps headed toward home. They'd not left so early in the morning that they'd missed hearing the stories that Mary Magdalene and the other women had conveyed to the disciples. Some women of our group astounded us, they say. Their talk of an angel and an empty tomb. But they're still headed away from Jerusalem. Then they're joined by this stranger who holds a sort of a traveling Bible study with them. When they arrive in Emmaus, they invite this stranger to stay on with them. Stay with us. It's almost evening and the day is now nearly over. It's at the very least an act of hospitality typical of that culture. It was not safe to travel at night. But maybe these two also really wanted that conversation, that traveling Bible study to continue. So when they sat down to eat their dinner together, the stranger took bread, blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And then their eyes were opened, Luke tells us, and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. Right away, the two of them are up, back on the road, ignoring the dangers of nighttime travel. They have to share this story with those who have remained in Jerusalem. The risen Christ was made known to them in the breaking of the bread. It is perhaps one of the most evocative phrases in the whole of the New Testament. There's a lot of talk of food in the gospel accounts, which kind of suggests that Jesus had a particular fondness for the sharing of food and drink, bread and fish for thousands, Bread and grilled fish on the beach with just his disciples. A supper at the homes of Zacchaeus the tax collector. Simon the Pharisee. A meal with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Food given to a little girl brought from death back to life. Water turned into wine at a wedding banquet. And all of those parables he tells with feasts and food and fatted calves. Of course, there is that final Seder supper he shares with his disciples on the night of his arrest, in which he takes the familiar Passover bread and wine and re-narrates them, giving the, the ancient story meal its whole new meaning. All of those stories, all of those meals in the gospel accounts, they're not incidental, they're not disconnected. Each in its own way is an image to which we are called to attend. Though as Robert Capon once said to me, images don't mean anything, they point. One meal, one act of shared food and drink points to the next, and that one to the next, and the next. And so when we come to this moment in Emmaus, it's almost as if everything that has happened before is held there in that fourfold act of taking bread, blessing, breaking, and giving. And he was made known to them in the breaking of the bread. 
Do this in remembrance of me, he'd said to them at the Last Supper. The word we translate as remembrance is the Greek word anamnesis. It's a word far more nuanced than its English equivalent. Anamnesis, it means to remember or again make present, to draw the past into the present. And there's a very real sense in which whenever the Christian community assembles to do this thing together, we find ourselves closer to the upper room of the Last Supper than to the city that buzzes outside of these four walls. 2,000 years become for a moment just the blink of an eye. The separation of time totally irrelevant. Christ is still and again made known to us in the breaking of the bread. I want to read to you a bit of an extended section from Sarah Miles' book, Take This Bread. Sarah Miles is a fascinating and rather complex character with a rather extraordinary story of discovering communion at St. Gregory of Nyssa Church in San Francisco, a church itself at least as fascinating and complex as Sarah Miles herself. And she writes, Early one winter morning, I walked into St. Gregory's Episcopal Church in San Francisco. I had no earthly reason to be there. I'd never heard a gospel reading, never said the Lord's Prayer, I was certainly not interested in becoming a Christian, or, as I thought of it less politely, a religious nut. But on other long walks, I'd pass the beautiful wooden building with its shingled steeples and plain windows, and this time I went in, on an impulse, with no more than a reporter's habitual curiosity. So, in other words, aside from her assumption that religious people tend to be religious nuts— It's with no faith background whatsoever that Sarah Miles goes through the doors of what she takes to be a lovely building. When she entered and discovered that a worship service was about to begin, you wonder why she didn't just turn around and walk back out the door. She could admire the architecture some other time. But that wasn't the decision she made, and so she continues in her book. I walked in, took a chair and tried not to catch anyone's eye. There was no organ, no choir, nor no pulpit, just the unadorned voices of people and long silences framed by the ringing of deep Tibetan bowls. I sang too. It crossed my mind that this was ridiculous. We sat down and stood up, sang and sat down, waited and listened and stood up and sang. And it was all pretty peaceful and sort of interesting. Now, I I particularly relished reading that description because, because it made me wonder how a complete outsider to any Christian practice might experience what we do here at St. Benedict's table. They sat down and stood up, sang and sat down, waited and listened and stood up and sang. I do hope that a complete outsider, though, might also be able to say, it was pretty peaceful and sort of interesting. And then she came to the St. Gregory's Church, very simple equivalent to our own invitation to the table. And she continues, Jesus invites everyone to his table, 
a woman announced. And we started moving up in a stately dance to the table in the rotunda. It had some dishes on it and a pottery goblet. Then we gathered round that table and there was more singing and standing and someone was putting a piece of fresh crumbly bread in my hand saying, the body of Christ. And handing me the goblet of sweet wine saying, the blood of Christ. And then something outrageous and terrifying happened. Jesus happened to me. I still can't explain my first communion, she writes. It made no sense. I was in tears and physically unbalanced. The disconnect between what I thought was happening and what I knew was happening utterly short-circuited my ability to do anything but cry. Now I should tell you, that Sarah Miles did manage eventually to stop those tears, and that she very quickly and forcefully jumped into the very midst of that church community's life. In fact, Sarah Miles, who, remember, had never heard a gospel lesson or never prayed the Lord's Prayer, currently serves on the church staff team as director of ministry, and that all started when she walked into the church just to admire a building she thought was lovely. I think that N.T. Wright is fundamentally correct in his observation that in this today's gospel reading from Luke, scripture and sacrament, word and meal, are joined tightly together. Before he breaks bread with them, Jesus explores the scriptures with them. Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things about himself in all the scriptures. I think N.T. Wright is accurate in stressing the continuing importance of this pairing of word and meal. Take scripture away, he writes, and the sacrament becomes a piece of magic. Take the sacrament away and scripture becomes an intellectual or emotional exercise detached from real life. Put them together and you have the center of Christian living as Luke understood it. Still, I'm persuaded that while in the story, in the gospel, word comes before meal, right? Jesus unpacks word as before he breaks bread with them. I think in our particular time and cultural context, sometimes it is the invitation to come and receive that little piece of bread and sip from that cup of wine that alerts people to the presence of a deep hunger they didn't even know was there. A deeper longing which will then draw them into that deep word, as was true for Sarah Miles, until she stood in that communion circle, she didn't even know there was a Jesus to meet. She didn't know that she had tears outrageous and terrifying to shed. He made himself known to them in the breaking of bread, and still does. May we be saved from ever taking such things for granted. Come, for Jesus would meet you here. Amen.